Today on our show, no one on the Enterprise knows who they are, and we learn that some of them are really bad at context clues. Hello and welcome to Reengage, the podcast where we dis watch and discuss episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Our cultural bridge officers dissect each episode as well as the pop culture and world events that took place when it first aired. We're a bunch of adults returning to the series we loved as a kid to see how it holds up, so search for the truth and let's re-engage. Hello and welcome to this, our episode of Conundrum. Yes, Conundrum. I am Kate Yeager. I am your host. I am joined by my cultural bridge officers. Let's go around the horn and see how everyone is doing. Greg Tito, how do you do? I am doing pretty good. This one is a bit of a conundrum uh, and <laughs> in more ways than one. I see what you did there. <laughs> uh, Eric Curry, how are you? I am doing very well. Bonjour, mon ami. Uh, I have not learned the, the, the native tongue of the people of the city that is hosting me right now. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I've missed you. <laughs> yes, your worldwide tour has gotten you to Paris. Is that true? Yes. Uh, for the rest of the year. Where I, uh, do, You don't know when we're recording this, but for the rest of the year. <laughs> Mercy buckets. Fant fantastic. And Jimmy G, how are you? Good, sir. Uh, I am doing well, madam. Thank you for asking. Excited to talk about Mr. McAduff, who yeah. is not from a woman born. <laughs> <laughs> we have a star date of 45494.2, which equals a date of February 17th, 1992. Greg, what was happening in the world? couple of wonderful fun things, of course, as we do every week. Uh, February 15th, a couple of days before this, Jeffrey Dahmer was found guilty and sane at the same time. Uh, or, or rather, the defense of being insane was dismissed, and he was found guilty of 15 counts of murder. Uh, and uh, that was um, terrible. Wow. On February 18th, the Iraq disarmament was not going as planned. Uh, this is about a year, if you remember, after the Iraq war and part of the uh, you know surrender was that they would uh, disarm and UN troops and uh, inspectors need to go in and make that happen. And uh, at this time, they were basically saying, nope, they're not disarming uh, according to the rules. And I remember this being the story that would end up uh, being a justification for war uh, after 9-11, that they did not disarm and that they had weapons of mass destruction. But that story was kind of seeded in this aftermath of, of, of the, the first Gulf War here. Um, and then also on February 20th, a couple of days after this aired, our friend Ross Perot says he will run for president. Do anyone remember the venue that he announced this on? No. It was Larry King Live. <laughs> and, uh, and Larry King was 95, even back then. <laughs> um, and, of course, it became uh, the first time in my uh, memory that a third-party member was invited to debates and all that stuff. So uh, uh, Ross Perot will, will loom large over the course of the rest of 1992 uh, as we go through these seasons here. But that's, that's all I had for what's happening in current events. All right. Well, let's talk about the world of pop culture. 
Number one on the music charts was I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred. Uh, one of the few uh, sort of spoken word songs. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> he sort of speaks on a note. <laughs> Sprocksonger. Sprocksonger, decent boys. <laughs> Uh, the number one movie was Wayne's World. Oh. Imagine that I'm flashing in and out with a, a camera that is going in and out zooming and just <laughs> Wayne's Worlding at you. Extreme close up! <laughs> <laughs> and on the Great Broadway, uh, Crazy for You opened for 1,622 performances. That is a show I have seen live and is one of those where I had such a shit-eating grin on my face the entire time because it was just like, who cares what's happening outside the world? <laughs> They're was, singing and dancing for me. It was Ken Ludwig did the uh, book for that, right? Sure. Yeah. And it right. starred uh, Harry Groner, uh, who uh, people know from Buffy as, uh, wasn't he the mayor? Uh Ah, uh, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, but I, I always remember as Ralph from Dear John, because we are Gen X. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, tell us what was happening behind the scenes. Uh, not too much. This uh, was originally pitched among several other Insomnia episodes in season four. Uh, none of them made it in. This one finally did materialize in season five. Um, and Pillar was pretty fascinated with the um, the whole uh, military being uh, their minds wiped as a way of drafting. Like that was mm. his like that's what he had glommed onto and really wanted to kind of uh, pilot this. And finally, it came to fruition. A couple of models that we see, like especially the Lycians, are things we saw all the way back in season one and been redressed uh for this episode but that is it from the nemesis files <laughs> <laughs> eric what about the guesters of Nyote? well i'm we'll start with commander kieran who is played by eric anderson who you might remember from friday the 13th the final chapter uh, he was also in uh, the war film Bat 21, if you remember that, and uh, Unfaithful, which uh, did very well for an independent film starring extraordinarily famous people. Uh, he also uh, did a ton of television. In addition to this, he did uh, both CSI and CSI Miami. Murder, She Wrote. Um, also, uh, House. Also, um, Outer Limits, which co-starred Brent Spiner. So this is uh, their their second go-around. Um, a really uh, terrific career uh, and uh, ongoing. And then we have uh, Kristen the Swimmer, who, of course, is played by Liz Vassie. Uh, she has been in All My Children. Uh, she was probably best known as Captain Liberty on The Tick, the 2002 TV series. Oh. Uh, which uh, gained certainly a, a bigger following after it left the air uh, in reruns and uh, DVD sales uh, and is one of those that you would have loved to have seen like a season four, like just give them several more years to see what they would have grown into. But I have no money to make such things happen. Uh, but uh, she was in such movies as, you know, Calendar Girl, uh, Man of the House, even in uh, 2005. She was one of the Texas Rangers that worked under Mr. Tom Lee Jones, uh, as he was known in Love Story. 
tons of television, uh, starting with like the new Leave It to Beaver. Uh, as a kid, uh, not too long before Star Trek: The Next Generation, uh, uh, Jake and the Fat Man uh, was this same year, uh, as well as Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two One Zero and Parker Lewis Can't Lose and Married with Children and Herman's Head and Murphy Brown. That is a string of wow. one year success. Wow that I can't imagine many people match in the history of television. So well done, uh, Liz Vassy. And uh, those are the two that I'd like to concentrate on this week. Well, fantastic. Let's talk about the episode, shall we? We are investigating intelligent life in a solar system. Uh, and we see sort of snippets of life on board and 10 forward data and Troy are playing some sort of three-dimensional chess Troy wins and surprises him. Uh, and Troy wants Data to make her a traditional drink. Let's start with this uh, opening 10 forward. I love Data and Troy playing a game together because it's it's like, well, what would be a fun pairing? Yeah, yeah. And I love that she's like, it doesn't need to be all about smarts and deduction and logic with chess. It's also a game of intuition and that he, she could uh, know a little bit more about that because of her empathic abilities, you would say. But mm-hmm. I still don't understand why they let her at the poker table. But chess, I can understand. <laughs> is 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 chess a game of intuition? I never really thought of it that way, but you know, maybe she. <laughs> I mean, maybe she knows more than me. That's a good point. She is an empath. <laughs> she she has superpowers. I'm gonna just shut up. <laughs> Meanwhile, in sick bay, Crusher is dealing with a woman uh, who f- was diving off of a cliff like you do on a spaceship. <laughs> uh, and Roe and Riker are arguing in the turbo lift. The rules of this ship don't change just because Roe Laren says they do, says Riker. Mm-hmm. A rumpf. And I thought to myself, oh, here's another fun pairing. Yes. <laughs> it would get even more fun anyway. But did anyone else, going back, going back to the diving holodeck thing, yeah. did anyone else kind of think about the physics of how that would potentially work? Because yeah. it made no sense <laughs> to me. Because <laughs> what are you diving right. into? Right. right. And does... Like, I, I, I imagine it's something to do with, uh, with uh, wind turbines, <laughs> um, those uh, Fred Astaire... Uh, revolving rooms you know a, a, a bunch of different things like that hard light projections come on guys it's the first <laughs> rule of holodecks is no diving <laughs> it was like an indoor skydiving thing is that what you're saying like that she... i've done that it's flying it's flying <laughs> oh, I, and I, I i love the slice of life of all these things though i these are my favorite episodes when they show what it's like to be on a starship and the trials and tribulations that come up when something messes with it but these these three in particular just were really uh really kind of cool to see just a doctor doing being like you know doctory stuff maybe don't do the the risky move uh, why does that hurt well maybe don't do that thing and it won't hurt anymore <laughs> eric as a, uh, a a middle-aged person, um, I I wish it had been someone just like walking down the hall and <laughs> like <laughs> like just went ow, and it was the same injury just caused by walking down the hall. <laughs> well, then she wouldn't get to be in a bathing suit, uh, so would have changed everything. They did have the shiny bathing suit in costuming that needed to be used. That's right. <laughs> Fair. 
I withdraw. I withdraw. <laughs> uh, we go to the bridge, and they are approaching a ship, and there is one life form aboard. They are being scanned, and they're like, that's cool. We don't need to raise the shields. And then they continue to get scanned and, like, a little harder, I guess. Like, you can get scanned a little harder. And then finally they sort of shrug the shields up, like, okay, this is a little invasive. Uh, And then we go into 10 forward again. uh, And we have a Sumerian sunset made in the traditional style. And he hits the glass and uh, someone in the FX team did a great job making it look crazy colors. Which for the, you know, 90, what what are we in now here? Two. 92, not bad. It was kind of cool, right? To see like, oh, it, 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 there is some showmanship in drink making now, right? Where like, just like you know, you pull off a, 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 a dish and it's smoke comes out and all that right. stuff. And I feel like it was like <laughs> right. the precursor to that with the little... <laughs> flick of his finger making i guess the molecules interact to create the sunset effect in the glass uh i don't know if i want to drink it necessarily but it looked nice data says i hope you enjoy it glitches and then says i hope you enjoy it again which is like whoa uh they get scanned again but this time the light is everywhere and suddenly no one knows who anyone is nor who they themselves are credits mm. we're in for a we're in for a good one friends yes well, we, greg i do love that disorienting shot around picard uh and it's yes. a really subtle thing to show mcduff in the background behind yes. him without focusing on him like he's he's he, the shot is not about him it's about picard's reaction but we as all you know knowers of this cast are like who the hell is that guy um yeah. also i must note this is uh an important part in Star Trek Acid Party. Uh, this is after they take <laughs> the drugs uh, in the beginning. This is the opening of like, whoa, and then this, they do all the distortion of the faces and stuff. And then they make it even crazier. It's like, I have no Amazing. This. Amazing. I'm glad you brought that up, Greg, because uh, Jimmy, yeah, your point. Uh, well, I, I, I'm glad that Greg brought up McDuff in the background because I just thought he was another nameless crew member, like a helmsman or mm-hmm. any other person. I didn't think about it, and I thought it was lovely that they didn't wink at the camera at all mm-hmm. with the with the first couple of intros to this guy. In fact, I didn't know he was the number one until they called him number one. I, I didn't notice the pips or anything. Yeah. Eric. Well, we know I love a mystery. And it feels like one of those classic, like, well-done mystery moves where the people who are really, really into it might catch it earlier than others. But there's going to be a couple clues before we find out that it's something big. And I, I really like that. Like, I, yeah. I think a casual fan, it might take until, like, Act 3. It might take until, like, a reveal uh, for them to really know. But this rewards fans that have been around for two generations at this point, you know, for this show. It's really neat. Indeed. We uh, come up after the credits and McDuff is like, who, who are we? Where are we? What's going on? And, and I'm still with you, Eric, in that I'm like, oh, this guy's going to die because we're seeing <laughs> a crewman <laughs> in a red shirt. Yeah, right? He's red Yeah. <laughs> But also on a second viewing and knowing not knowing it, you can tell he's seeding the narrative that this was something that was done to them. 
Yeah. Right, right from the get-go. He's like, who did this to us? Rather than it just being a phenomenon that occurred, mm. um, he was making it that we're, we're at a war state uh, and that this is yeah. a new weapon, which I, I found fascinating that he was already manipulating their, their storytelling of, of, of what their memories meant. Yeah. Uh, Ro says the cons aren't working, but, you know, also she knows how to work them somehow. Picard notices, <laughs> hey, we know how to do shit. That's kind of cool or weird. Uh, Riker says, Picard, you must be the leader because he's looking at his pips and Worf is not having it. He has a fancy sash. Thank you very much. He's the decorated one. (laughs) I like how they feel the pips with their fingers. I don't know why, but that's just, it was a very evocative thing for them to be like, how many do I have? One, two, like you can see Riker actually does count. (laughs) (laughs) There are the remains of another ship. Uh, Macduff just keeps talking and and I, and then and at this point I'm like, all right, either this guy is gonna die soon, or something's <laughs> up, right? Uh, they yeah, try talking through yeah. the computer, but it doesn't work. Um, and they realize that they can't communicate with the outside world, uh, but they can eventually communicate within the ship. So Worf sends a message. So then we go to sickbay and they don't know where they are either. But Beverly knows how to help uh, our skydiver. I'm sorry. I mean, our (laughs) (laughs) Uh, she asks for clothes because shame still exists, even when you don't know who you are on the bridge. uh, Everyone's still trying to figure shit out. Uh, and Worf knows exactly how many weapons they have, like, immediately. (laughs) I do think this is a really interesting, um, way to look at how each of them handle a crisis Mm. by going to what is innate with them, in them, without knowing their background or their, it's, it's an interesting point of view. Eric. Yeah, I think it, I think it's really a neat exercise for both the writers and the actors who know the characters so well at this point mm-hmm. to decide what to emphasize about them that doesn't change and and get to play so so hard with what does and yeah. I, I think it's a really neat chance to watch them all yeah yeah that interaction between Worf and Riker, where Riker's like, this is this is the tactical console, and he's like, yes, these are the weapons. Like I thought, for some reason, that felt very much like, oh, they know who they are innately without yeah. knowing the actual identities, uh, and and it, it was it was an interesting interplay for sure. And then, yeah, sorry, they go on to the next thing, right, which is them going into the the, the turbo lift, and I yeah. thought, man, Jordy's the third wheel again. Immediately, <laughs> I think uh, Riker and Roe were just looking for some time in the in the turbo lift because uh, they had both gotten their guff up very recently against each other, right? Like, and so yeah. it's like, oh, let's go in and smash. Yeah, poor Jordy, he doesn't even know who he is, and he knows. Who he is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Picard and McDuff uh, check in with Worf. Uh, who is like, let's get these weapons up and running. And Picard's like, maybe we should read. <laughs> Which is like, look at these logs. Figure out who we are. Uh, the weapons are up and running. We are ready. But for what? They ask. 
Uh, and it's an interesting question about civilization, right? Like, what do you go for first? Uh, is it the weapons or is it the shared knowledge uh, yeah. of the community? Are you the jack who wants the spears to kill the pigs? Or are you uh, <laughs> trying to save humanity? You just got an A+. Plus. Good job. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the bridge, Picard's like, let's run a diagnostic. And Macduff is like, yes. Which was the first time I was like, all right, that's sus, right? Like, because like, there are certain yeah. things that he is pushing them towards very subtly. Well, and sometimes not so subtly, right? Like, he very <laughs> much is an active sort of, um, you're right, it's, a, it's about planting things in their minds, you know, or like ideas of like, yeah, you should do that. Then Riker is going door to door with Roe, you know. They're going to go door to door later, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> There's nothing like touring a ship uh, and asking random people and making sure they're okay that gets me horny. Right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They go to 10 forward and they are just bantering with each other. It's just uh, it's just thick with uh, innuendo. In 10 forward, Troy is the one who is in charge and Data is the bartender. Yeah. <laughs> which oh, I it's so good. Love. That shot when he pops up, like, and he's like, what can I get you? And you're like, <laughs> just another episode in which Guinan would have figured this all out immediately. So that's why she doesn't appear. <laughs> She's sleeping. Troy and Riker sort of have a moment when she reads him a little bit. Um, so they sort of have this passing, like, well. Mm -hmm. Which only makes him more attractive to Ro, I will say, because she... Roe is the one who yes. looks back at Troy to be like, oh, did she want him? I think she wanted him, and now I want him. It's the thirstiest episode of TNG ever. <laughs> it really is. Ooh, it's a pretty thirsty that's, episode. That's a I don't know if it's statement. the thirstiest ever, but it's a pretty it's thirsty episode. thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the bridge... They finally find the records, uh, and they flash by. We see that Macduff is uh, an executive officer, uh, and turns out Picard is the captain, and Worf walks away in shame uh, and apologizes. I love that yeah. moment. Anything about that? I, I did like that moment. Yeah. I thought there was a, something that just is off about Picard using his name right away. Um, where he mm. says, Mr. Worf, it's okay. You no, know, we're all dealing with this strangely. That I was like, well, he just learned this guy's name off of a list. I felt like there could have been some, uh, I, I felt like they too easily dropped into their, to their roles based on, uh, just hearing that, that manifest list of, of what their rank was. Um, I wish Picard was a little bit like, you know, what was your name? Like, it's, it's okay. We're all kind of dealing with confusion here. Instead, he immediately is like, yes, Mr. Worf, everything is fine. And, I, you know, I thought there could have been some more. But other than that, I thought it was an interesting, uh, again, play yeah. because he, Worf is realizing that he wants more authority in his life, perhaps, uh, and, and in a, on a yeah. ship. And he got a taste of it when he was dealing with uh, the Klingon uh, war with his brother and all that. So maybe that's it's all tied up in that, which I thought was, was, was fascinating. 
In the conference room, Data and Jordy are talking about how the Federation is at war, they have found out. And they have been ordered to attack the Lycian Central Command. And Troy is like, maybe we should get some confirmation. And all of the men are like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Our course is clear, says Worf. We must attack and destroy. And of course, the the orders say radio silence. Uh, That was convenient of the bad guy to put that in the orders. It's also interesting, too, to have them describe what the Federation is without knowing it, right? They're like, we are part of an organization mm-hmm. called the United Federation of Planets. Uh, I almost wish they went a little bit farther down there because then that would have been a contrast of this is a you know a peaceful organization. Starfleet is not necessarily a military organization. It's exploration and blah, blah, blah. And then that might have given them more information uh, to that. But then again, that's what... Uh, the 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 bad guy i'm forgetting the name of their their race um planted that in there and how did they get like do they look it up on wikipedia do they like what is what are we what organization do we live under um and how to describe that succinctly uh to the audience was was it it made me think about how would you in an elevator pitch be like what's the united federation of planets in the hallway later, Riker is showing Troy her room. Uh, she invites him inside, but they don't recognize anything. Nothing feels right. You seem familiar. You're the only thing that does. She touches his curls and his face, and I'm like, ooh, spicy. Yes, Jimmy. Uh, there is one little other backstory bit here is when he picks up the trombone and plays it. It's the same thing he played in one zero zero one one, the uh, oh. where he meets Minuet and he's playing the trombone. Love it. Oh, cool. it's the only thing. That's his horny rift. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. I wish they would have had Literally. the harpist in there. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but I like it. He did say something about his holodeck history or something, didn't he? Yes, and it was... It, what did she say in response? He was like, what are you doing in there? It was very suggestive, whatever it was. It's very suggestive. This whole episode needs to take a shower. It's, uh, what did you say, Jimmy? It's very thirsty. It is thirsty. I loved it. Well, Riker goes to his quarters, and surprise, surprise... Wait. Roe is there, mm. brown chicken, brown cow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's like, I think I spend my off hours here. For all I know, we could be married. For all I know, we could hate each other. And then they kiss. Mm. What makes you think you're going to get any sleep? I know, what a good line. Best couple ever. Way better <laughs> than uh, <laughs> Riker and Troy, like, this is a power couple here. They could have taken over the Federation if they would have stayed together. (laughs) On the bridge, they are quickly on their way. They see a ship, and they know it's a Lycian destroyer. Uh, And so Macduff's like, we've got a fire on them. And Picard delays the order, uh, which Heath Macduff all up. The ship tries to communicate with them, uh, or the Enterprise does. They don't answer back. Uh, and then they destroy the ship. I liked the, the I'm using my hands so you don't know, uh, but the effect of the the phaser and that Picard's just reluctant, oh, I guess return fire. And the phaser hits the shields and then it goes through the shields a little bit afterwards. I was like, that was a really well done, you know, uh, that we have such a, 
outclass them in technology that not even their paltry shields could do anything. Um, it's it was it was rough. And then having Picard's face when McDuff is like, "Well done, you did you did the right thing, Captain," and Picard just stoning him and not even looking at him in that direction, I thought was pretty effective. Uh, they go to the conference room. They're trying to figure out what their next steps are in this war that they find themselves in. Uh, Crusher has a plan, but they can't access the medical files of the crew yet. Uh, Jordy says he and Data will have it figured out in three hours. No problem. He's like, we'll do it in three hours. And then we go to engineering and they're like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They talk about why Data is the only one of his kind on the ship. They have a lot of theories. Uh, And they access the storage area, but everything is gone. It was just neat to see. I, I thought it was just really neat to see how quickly they gravitated towards each other, both because of their, uh, you know, job rankings, and also because we've got to think, have it. You know, it's it's kind of uh, a, a neat storytelling device that they go yeah. right back to that pairing. Yeah, and I thought this this conversation they're having is fan service to a certain extent, where we're like, we know Data's story. And where he came from. Um, it doesn't really serve the plot in any way, but it was a nice way to nod to the audience. I thought that, like, yeah, it, it, we could have gone this way with androids. We could have gone this way with androids, but we're going this way with androids. And you all know that. And that's his story. Um, it, it was pleasing for some reason for us to hmm. watch that, even though it has nothing on the, 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 the episode itself. Uh, in Riker's room, he's looking at a plaque. Troy comes to visit and she's feeling a panic about the war. Um, He is figuring out who he is. He's a musician. He's from Alaska. And he takes his vacations on a place called Risa. With the Horgon, right? That's the Horgon that you you show that you're ready to rock, right? Right? Yep. Yep. Amazing. Uh, He has a book that she gave to him. He goes in to kiss her, and then Rose shows up, and it's awkward as fuck. It is, it is a lot, and it's beautiful. The body language alone on that, I thought that was very fascinating. How Rose comes in, and they both like kind of separate, but then also they're facing Rose. So it, it was well directed. I thought that the dynamics were off, and you know, it made it seem like they were going to kiss, which they were. Yeah, that's certainly apparent. Um, and the fact that that she that, that Troy's like I gotta go, uh, so that for some reason, it felt natural and and, and weird at the same time. And Riker's a bit opportunistic, right? Like he's he's getting down with whoever is willing and in, in his room. Like he's full on about to hook up with Troy. And when Ed doesn't work out, and Rose shoves, he's like, "All right, well, I'll, I'll get with you there." <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, he, like if if this is their them returning to sort of their base instincts, we know where right lies. And you know, neither one of these intelligent women seem to mind. They're like, eh, whatever, it's fine. Ro has that line. Uh, I I have a feeling I used to be the jealous type, <laughs> yeah. which is a great line. Yeah, Ro comes off so well in this episode. She's just a straight murderer. When uh, when they uh, she and Deanna meet and she just says, counselor, and, and Deanna <laughs> echoes Ensign. <laughs> it's just 
Oh, just a murderer. She's great. In engineering, they're talking about how specific the damage to the computer is. And we all note that in our brains. Mm. Uh, McDuff volunteers to be the one to have his mind kind of fucked with. Like, all right, we can. right, they've got this like <laughs> weird convoluted plan. And so, of course, he's the one that has to be the volunteer. Very smart. Uh, he seizes up uh, and after it happens and then says, I, I don't remember anything. And then he smiles and says, back to square one. <laughs> that is the one wink to the camera, too. Where we're yes. Like, Wait a second. He's yeah. smirking, uh, smiling, and I got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the ready room, he talks with Picard about uh, this mission. Picard is worried. I feel as though I've been handed a weapon and sent into a room and told to shoot a stranger, he says. I need to know that what I'm doing is right. Uh, and Macduff uh, pretends he understands and then just guilt trips Picard. He's like, no, no, that's a good point. Also, you're terrible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> also, you should always just shoot things. Don't you know? You just shoot, shoot, shoot. Yeah. Right. But I love this um, scene because, again, we're seeing these characters that we know wrestle with what is at their core, right? Mm -hmm. And we know that at um, Riker's core, he's horny. Uh, <laughs> and we know that at Picard's core, like, he has uh, this responsibility to be ethical or to be, you know, to make sure that he is fully informed of the decisions he makes. Um, this also has the shot outside looking into the ready room with Picard at the window, mm -hmm. um, which is rare. I think this is only the third time we see that happen in all of TNG. It happened at the end of the Borg uh, uh, episode. And I think I remember when that came up that it's it's very rare. But uh, it, I don't know if necessarily this was the best choice for that because it doesn't, didn't, you know, usually you want that to be like a a thing that talks about like, you know, Picard and his, his state, but it, it made it call back to that Borg episode, which mm. I found it very interesting. And even Macduff, I think was in the position that Riker was in when he like leaves the ready room in that Borg uh, episode as well too. So maybe that's, maybe it was the same director or something like that. That, mm. that kind of, that feel. Now I want to check. Yeah. Well, Macduff calls Worf. He says, we are warriors. There are times for diplomacy. This is not one. Uh, we may f soon face a critical moment. A hesitation would kill us all if we can, and we cannot let this happen. I mean, he lays it on thick, right? Yeah, it's it's very it's very the nerds need us to protect them. Yeah, yeah and it's very much about the you and I know what no one else knows, and it's it's interesting when you think about his larger plot and plan like at what point does he switch to Worf right like how soon is he like okay Picard's not gonna work so I've got to switch to Worf I, I think it was right because it was right after that ready room scene he's like shit this plan might not work if oh for sure the, we got the one peaceful captain in, in Starfleet <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the bridge they are close to the central command there are sentry pods and they are very powerful they're sort of just like mosquitoes uh they easily get through them and they reach central command and it's like you know pew, pew, pew. 
Yeah. Well, that's... and their planetary defense system has an output of 4.3 kilojoules, uh, which I read is less than uh, a wood-burning stove. Wow. <laughs> so their planetary defense cannot boil water. Wow. <laughs> how little energy it produces. My. Well, then... It's, you know, they are over a hundred years behind in tech. I would call that several hundred years behind in tech. They have Ben Franklin levels of technology. But they have spaceships. Yeah. Uh, What you don't know is that they um, have, that they constantly have people uh, on bikes, stationary bikes who are powering the entire station. That's what all those 15,000 people are doing. They're just batteries. Little matrix action here. Uh, Picard says, open a hailing frequency, and Macduff says, belay that order. Did you just belay me? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. And we have that moment, right, where Worf's like, oh, no. Mom and dad are fighting. And then Macduff goes to actually physically move, and then Worf gets thrown. Thrown again. That Never. shows that Macduff is strong. That's how we know that he's super strong. <laughs> well, and that, and they have to shoot him several times, many times, right? Like RoboCop. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, turns out he was from a group that is at war with the Lycians. Uh, and although they can do crazy shit with people's memories. And they're super they, tough. And are super tough. It's a war they can't win on their own. (laughs) Never mind the fact that they could probably have, you know, done this mind trick on the entire, you know, Central Command. But it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, sent more than one. You know, if if you're at war, you have more people than that. You know, infiltrate with 25. (laughs) I I don't know. I'm not a Saturan. But, uh... Saturan... I could have been. Uh, we go to 10 forward, and Ro and Troy are talking. Uh-oh. Are we going to get a menage a trois? <laughs> That's what he was thinking first, because he was immediately like, menage oh, shit. Troy. Yeah. He, was, he, was not, he was on his back. He was like, this is not like good. This is sitcom <laughs> level of life. <laughs> oh, my God. All they had to do was jump in the air and freeze. That's how sitcom he was. Yes, uh, Ro says, as far as I'm concerned, we shared something we will treasure forever. And Riker's like, we did? Like, you liked it? <laughs> I was good. I was good, right? <laughs> I love that they remember it. I think that was awesome yeah. that they remember. Yeah. You're right. It is sort of sitcom-y, right? But in a sex sitcom <laughs> way, right? Because, right. like, yeah. we're yeah. about to have that freeze frame moment, but it's not, you know, it's because, yeah. like... <laughs> We had sex. It's dream on. (laughs) And Troy says, if you are still confused tomorrow, you know where my office is. Love it. Love Love it. Love that dressing down of like, we are still a professional relationship. I can counsel you, but I know what you did and how you were playing both sides. And a couple of sassy exits, just one after the other. It was just lovely. Yes. Yes. 
Well, let's uh, talk about how we feel of this episode. Uh, Jimmy, talk about this episode. What do you What do you give it? What are your final thoughts? I will give it six space TDs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> um, I love the row and I love the episode overall. I thought it was really fun material and handled pretty well up until the end, and then they just let it fall to shit. And it was all because of the placement of those last two scenes. And I'm so happy Greg brought up that look of um, Captain Picard in the window, because that should have been our last look again, because they killed tens of thousands of people, and this episode should not have ended in a sitcom laugh-out-loud kind of way, because that happened, and they did it. And it didn't get washed away, like, oh, we went back in time, and those people are actually alive. They're gone. Um, and it's not their fault, but they did it. And that's a real thing that you would have to bear, uh, and not like laughing about the little sexcapade you had over the last couple of days. So the episode that I thought was really strong and great, and you should definitely put it in your rotation because it does, even though it doesn't necessarily inform down the road, it's just nice to see that be reminded Riker and Roe had something happen and their relationship does change from here on out. It's not as adversarial, uh, and it, at least not in the same way as it was at the beginning of this episode. And it was just, you know, it, that that part made it a lot uh, a miss for me. And then too, the whole thing with McDuff, there being a hundred years behind. I wish they would have just like tweaked that. It was like we're just as advanced as you, but we can't be seen doing this. So this was a lone operative doing a political stunt. Uh, in taking, you know, doing this high tech sort of takeover instead of, you know, we're woefully behind and, you know, but it takes seven laser shots and I can throw a Klingon across the ship. Like, so those things kind of <laughs> missed it for me, but it is a good, good episode. Uh, just a couple of little things that I think it knocked it down for me from being like a nine. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Greg. I didn't have that reaction so i'm gonna give it uh eight and a half horgons and trombones and books by keats right it was keats yes keats. Uh, it was keats i i love this episode i think it works on a sci-fi level with the plan that's put in place here i do question a little bit that there was just like they were just waiting for a big warship to come through and they took advantage of it at the time that they were um, maybe it was a lone guy who was doing it because it was a single singular person. But now I have this kind of story of like those the people in Gondor who like the fires, like they just live there. Like this is this is this guy's role was just wander space until you ha see a more powerful warship and then do this thing on them, and maybe we'll be able to get the Lysians that we hate so much uh, going on. Um, but. I love a slice of life episode like this that explores the characters that we know so well from a different angle. We get to see them uh, interact in different pairings, but also same pairings, but without any of the backstory that of each of them knowing each other, like the Data and Jordy scene. Um, I really enjoyed seeing Ro again. Like we had kind of lost her for a little while uh, in this season and having her come back and then having a Troy kind of centric episode too that didn't feel like it was put upon her. Like I felt like she was acting as she would as a counselor, as well as her ability giving her something uh, different, right? Having those feelings and having emotional memories 
being different than the memories. Uh, and so the thing would have affected her a little bit differently. I think that all makes sense, both in the science fiction realm and things like this. So um, I, I love it and I think it's fantastic and I want more um, you know, amnesia pairings to happen. Uh, the only thing I would give it a little negative that we didn't mention so far is the fact that Riker was still a commanding officer for Roe and that's not mentioned at all like that that's still wrong in general uh and then we we haven't really gotten to that point in, in in star trek storytelling about how you know it's it's just inappropriate for any commanding officer to have a relationship with a a subordinate um but uh but i like that he kind of gets his uh his, you know dressing down by both women uh and being like nope deal with it good stuff yes deal with it indeed uh yeah i yeah let's i'll talk about it in my time eric it's your time well uh i agree with jimmy about all the dings on the episode but also i do not care and (laughs) i will give it um nine thirsty jimmies uh this episode is now one of my favorites i uh we had talked before we were recording that uh, several of us didn't really remember this episode clearly and i certainly didn't remember it uh there were flashes of like scenes that came back to me as they were happening but uh as i said at the beginning i love a good mystery and and this one kind of played out like that for me uh, all the way through i had hunches that turned out to be right and I had hunches that turned out to be wrong and I just had a great time all the way through I I feel like similar to what Greg was saying everybody in the cast had a nice arc in this episode like uh, the doctor had some interesting stuff even the two co-stars had interesting stuff Um, it was it was kind of lovely to watch the ensemble uh, explore their characters in a new and an interesting way while not giving up the essences of the characters that we already loved. So that was, it was nice. Uh, so nine for me, I'm going to watch it again soon. Fantastic. Uh, and I am going to give it, oh man, you know what? Shit. I'm going to give it nine too. I'm going nice. to give it nine, uh, yeah. uh cliff divers, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who question how they can do what they do. Uh, this episode, <laughs> I was one of those that Eric referred to that did not remember this episode uh, and certainly, you know, was along for the ride in this case, which was really fun. Um, oftentimes, even when there is an episode that I don't remember as well, um, it doesn't keep me off my feet as much, right? I can sort of go, well, here's how what I know about these characters and I can kind of guess where we're going. Um, but this kept me on my feet because uh, although the characters, as we've talked about, sort of held onto their cores, we had this outside force making really compelling arguments to get them to work outside of who they are. And without the knowledge of who they were, I did have that moment of like, well, is he going to succeed? And he does, right? Like Jimmy is right. Like that, that there's no taking back what they did to that ship. And there should be some, you know, reflection on that instead of a uh, horny ending, as it were. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But 
As someone who watches the world around her right now and sees it tumbling in certain directions that are terrifying, uh, having people who, even when they don't know their circumstances or the exact things, know at their core that they should be striving for what is right hmm. gives me, you know, I like that. Uh, I it, get, it gives me hope that... Uh, there are people that stand firm to their core, uh, even when things around them. Um, and even if they fail at that once, that they have that opportunity to make that decision again and again, where we look at the things around us with a questioning eye. Uh, I liked this episode a lot. I enjoyed even more talking about it with you. I will enjoy the most when I get out of these wet pants. Uh, so thank you. Nice. And we will see you next week on Reengage. Yes. <laughs> Gotta go cliff dive. Thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of Reengage. Next week, we continue our mission with the next episode of the fifth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Reengage on Blue Sky and the site formerly known as Twitter at ReengageTNG to get updates when episodes are published. You can follow our various cultural bridge officers. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Curry is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is visible at GregTito.com and at Greg Tito on Twitter and Blue Sky. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Insta. Reengage is edited by Greg Tito, Kate Yeager, or Jimmy G. Logo artwork is by MojoJojo underscore 97 on Twitter or Mojo97.com. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thanks for listening. Join us next week as we re-engage. <laughs>